Welcome to Personal Financial Strategy, the podcast, a podcast wholly devoted to you and your relationship with money, bringing expertise to bear on how you earn, invest, and spend your hard-earned cash. I'm your host, Tony King, and today we welcome a special guest to the podcast, Charles Reed. He is the author of three books, Starting a New Business, Small Business Short Course, and The Little Black Book of the Beauty Biz as well as numerous articles and blogs throughout the years. He is a licensed CPA, and he has held Series 7 and Series 66 securities licenses, 50 years of financial leadership and experience. Welcome to the Personal Financial Strategy Podcast, Charles. Tony, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. We're so glad you are here to share your wisdom and the uh, insights that you've gained over over the years. Um, but I'm going to ask you up front because all of our uh, listeners are always curious to know where our guests live and work from. I live in Hickory Creek, Texas, which is a small town north of Dallas, basically now a Dallas suburb. It didn't used to be. The, my office is in Louisville, Texas. I built the building here about 22 years ago. And Louisville is a North Dallas suburb. So that's where I'm at in North Texas and have been uh, in fact, two days ago was my 50th anniversary of moving to Texas. Is that right? So, so you weren't born in Texas? I was born in Iowa. I was raised as, as an Iowa Midwestern boy. Uh, went to high school there. After high school, joined the Marine Corps. Spent four years in the Marine Corps. Came back from overseas. Spent two years overseas. Uh, met in, in Kansas City is where I was stationed. I met and married my wife. She had five children when I married her. I claim insanity, but we, we, we were married for 45 years before she passed. Hmm. It was a good marriage. It wasn't perfect. Any man who tells you he has a perfect marriage lies about other things. So <laughs> That's a voice of experience there. <laughs> Believe me. Yes. After the military, I found out my military experience wasn't valued by business then and even today, it's still not valued. So I went and got my credentials, um, my BBA, my MBA, sat for and passed my CPA exam while I was still in graduate school, went to work in corporate world for about 15 years, large corporations, small corporations, startups, so on. At the end of 15 years, realized I was never going to be a president of a major corporation. I did not have the political skills. Uh, I was unwilling to stab people in the back and toss them off the ladder. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Exactly. So I figured if I was going to run a business, I'd have to, like my father, start my own. There you go. So just over 30 years ago, Ruth and I, my wife, started her own business, and I'm still running it today. And where did the move to Texas come in there? Well, after the military, we were in Kansas City still, and Kansas City was in the middle of one of their union construction strikes. And basically unemployment was running about 25%. Ooh. So on March 6th of 1972, we packed up the kids, we got on I-35 and moved south, kind of intending to head toward Houston, got to Dallas, it was 63 degrees and the sun was shining. I can't see was still frozen solid. And we said, oh, this, this is heaven. <laughs> so we stayed, uh, found jobs the next day, and uh, have been here most of the last 50 years. We've moved away several times and keep coming back. 
We like it here in Dallas. Yeah, I know we've done. My wife and I have done the same thing with Phoenix, Arizona. We've moved. Gosh, we've been to Georgia back. We loved nothing against Georgia. Loved it. Loved our time there. But our careers called us back to uh, Arizona. And then uh, we went on a nine-year hiatus from Arizona into California. Love California. Do not love working in California. (laughs) So the, the, the state is beautiful. I love the state. I've lived there myself. Uh, my grandmother had a house that I stayed in. My parents ended up there. Uh, I, I love Northern California. I love the coast. I, I love the mountains. I hate the government, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the regulations and the taxes and so on. So I moved to San Antonio. I moved to Lubbock, uh, did a couple of years in North Carolina, which I loved a beautiful state, mm-hmm. but, uh, now we uh, we kind of like Texas. That's good. Now, how far are you from Plano? Hop and a skip. Is that right? Great. That's yeah. great. I've I've lived in Plano. That was uh, the we lived in uh, North Dallas, and then after a couple of years, we moved out to Plano. At the time, Plano was five thousand people, mm-hmm. and the bridge on Parker Road that went across Custer Creek was the old bridge, and it still said "Cross at your own risk." Well, our this business nineteen seventy four. Oh, okay. 1974. Well, our business partner at uh, Personal Financial Strategy is headquartered in Plano. That's why I asked that question. So we'll have to make a connection there maybe after we get done with our little conversation today. Well, Charles, I wonder if you could, uh, you've done a great job of giving your background and kind of what led up to your career in Dallas. Um, Tell us more about what you're doing today and, and how you got to be doing what you're doing today. I was working as COO for Financial Express, which was a franchise organization, mobile accounting services. And the board wanted the corporation to get rid of the original office because they were spending too much time managing it. So I bought it. That was 1991. Ruth and I bought it. Uh, The franchisor went belly up the next year, which was frankly a good thing for us because we quit having to pay franchise fees. Mm -hmm. So we just changed the name and kept going. We later got rid of the mobile aspect of it. And then here about 10 years ago, uh, my partner, who I'd taken on, wanted more autonomy. So I sold him the accounting side of the business and kept the payroll. So we're now an exclusively a a payroll provider. We're all across the U.S. We're national. We're probably one of the smaller of the national firms. Our footprint is, is, like I said, is national. And so we've just been doing payroll and we provide payroll and payroll related services to small and medium-sized businesses. Our biggest unique selling proposition is compliance. Being a CPA Mm -hmm. and a U.S. tax court practitioner and having 30 years in dealing with the, well, 50 years in dealing with the IRS and employment taxes, know more normally when I'm talking to the IRS than they do. Mm. I just have experience. I've, I've been doing right. this. I, this is my profession. IRS people get transferred from department to department and they, they have other duties and so on and so forth. So the guy you're talking to in employment tax may have been there a month, may have been there a few years, but it's unlikely he has 50 years of experience in employment tax because he's mm-hmm. done other things and will do other things again. So we help our clients stay compliant The IRS makes millions of mistakes. In fiscal 19, the IRS issued $13 billion in employment tax penalties. Several billion were abated because they were mistakes. 
Wow. Several more billion should have been abated. But if you don't know what to do, and you know, what my clients, they're all businesses. Some are very small, some are just one person. We mm-hmm. have a lot of ones, single, just single employer that they're incorporated. And so they have to be on payroll. And so we have a lot of onesies, which is great. I love them. Mm-hmm. And I love to help them. But if you take a manufacturer, a chef, a doctor, a lawyer, a dog groomer, okay, a guy that runs a teleprompter company. When I grew up, Pele was the world's best soccer player. Yep. Maybe the best soccer player of all time. Equivalent to Ronaldo today, I would say. Mm-hmm. But if you take Pele and put him in a New York Yankees uniform and stick him at second base in Yankee Stadium, he's lost. <laughs> right. I mean, the idea of picking up the ball with your hands and throwing it. Yeah. And, and the equipment and hitting a ball and everything else with a bat, he'd be lost. Right. Well, you take that businessman who's good at his business, knows it, understands it, is successful at it. And you say, okay, now you go deal with the IRS. Yeah. He's Pele at second base. He's yeah. absolutely totally lost. You know, I, I don't do a lot of things. I don't make my own clothes. I don't build my own cars. I don't even mow my own lawn anymore. Okay. <laughs> I outsource all of that. Sure. Because I outsource it to experts who have the equipment, the facilities, the expertise, the experience, the understanding, the knowledge. And in payroll, that's me. That's my company. That's what we do. Yeah. Boy, that sure makes a lot of sense to me. If I'm going to align with someone to handle my payroll, I want to align with the, the someone who has the most experience and knowledge dealing with that three initial department of the government (laughs) that oversees these things. Um, I tell clients they shouldn't talk to the IRS themselves because it's personal and they will get upset and they will do things they shouldn't. And this got brought home to me last year with COVID. The IRS made a mistake on my corporate taxes, my employment taxes. So I called up the uh, revenue officer, not agent, but officer, mm-hmm. and started talking to him. And he said several things that were stupid and were wrong. And the more we talked, the more upset I got. And I found myself yelling at him over the phone Uh-oh. and explaining to him that he was an incompetent boob and didn't know what the hell he was doing, was violating IRS regulations, didn't understand the rules, didn't understand the law, and didn't know what the hell he was doing. And when we got done with the conversation, he immediately did more stupid things to my tax account. (laughs) And while I'm talking to him, in the back of my mind, I'm going, Charles, don't do this. Don't do this. This is going to get you into trouble. And it did. And he retaliated. Well, it took me about three weeks to get a hold of his supervisor. And when I got a hold of his supervisor, I'd calmed down. And the supervisor said, no, he shouldn't have done all that. We'll reverse it all. It's all taken care of. And it was. That's why I tell clients, it's personal. Don't talk to the IRS. Let me. Because I won't get upset about your taxes. About mine, I get upset. (laughs) Sure, sure. Because it's personal. (laughs) It's personal. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Now, I think there might be some people listening to this conversation out there that um, they're not currently with Get Payroll, your company, but they have a tax issue. I'm just curious if they wanted to employ you at Get Payroll, would you be able to apply your expertise to a past tax issue? If it's an employment tax issue, 
Absolutely. We handle those all the time. We get a lot of clients in the door that come in and say, hey, I got a problem. Well, as long as they want to move forward with us, uh, you know, I, I have no problem. And if, if, it's a, if it's an old problem and they don't want to move forward, that's fine too. There'll be a fee and, and you know, we'll look at it and, and quote them a price and solve the problem for them if at all possible. We do it all the time. Uh-huh. Uh, they can just reach me at CJR at Get Payroll or uh, look me up and call me. Uh, and, and I'll talk to them. Uh, the, the, the first call is free. It won't cost them anything to, to talk to me. Okay. And that's a nice thing about us, uh, as opposed to some of my competitors. One of my major competitors, I won't use the name, but their initials are ADP. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I tried to call the president just as a joke one day. And I was told, after a repeated conversation with the operator, that the president of ADP did not have a phone that I could reach. He doesn't talk to clients. Insulated. So if you've got a if you got a pl- problem with ADP and you really want to talk to the boss, you can't. Not and happen. you can't talk to us. You can't talk to a CPA. They've got a room full of them, a floor full of them up in New Jersey that yeah. do all their taxes. Mm-hmm. But you can't talk to a CPA. You get to talk to some clerk. Yeah. So if you've got a problem, you're talking to a clerk may not know as much as you know. Right. And so you're, 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 you know, SOL. Yeah. When you call us, when you call get payroll, if you're not happy with the answer you get from my operations people or my operations manager, you ask for Charles and they'll transfer the call into me. If I'm in the office, I'll talk to you. Yeah. I don't mind. It it helps break up my day. Yeah. (laughs) It's fun. I, I like you like to help people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had one, one situation it was a tax penalty. It had gotten up to $95,000. It took nine years to solve. Oh These my. things don't get solved immediately. And finally, I was up many, many levels, and the director of field operations would not return my phone calls. I tried, you know, several times a month for a year. So having been on the IRS advisory council and having met all the movers and shakers at IRS headquarters, I called the deputy chief of appeals, who the director of field operations works for. Ah. And I said to her, I can't this, get this guy to return my calls. She said, Charles, I'll have him call you. He called me that afternoon oh, yeah. okay. after a year. And we talked about the case. He got it reassigned to another appeals office, looked at it all again. And my client, about three months later, got a $400 refund. Oh, my gosh instead of a $95,000 penalty. Right. I may not be able to do that every time. Sure. But sometimes, sometimes I can pull the rabbit out of the hat and it's fun to do it. Well, that's a great story. That's a great story. And what I'm hearing in that story is it's, it's more than what, you know, sometimes it's who, you know, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I found that to be true in my own life. That's great. Uh, You know, I'm going to ask you, uh, I was reading your book titles and one stands out to me just a little bit. And it seems a little bit like out of character for a payroll CEO, such as yourself. And that's the little black book of the beauty biz. Okay. It is all the back office stuff, the oh. accounting, the payroll, the taxes, the contracts, independent contractors versus employees, what, uh, what type of business you should be all those things that relate to the accounting and the payroll. And so my marketing manager at that time 
was an esthetician originally, so she knew the business, and she thought that would be a very good book for the back office, for the industry, because it wasn't, it's not normally addressed. They talk right. about how to do hair, how to give facials, chemicals, uh, equipment, so on and so forth. But nobody ever says to the spa owner, this is how you write a contract for an independent contractor and enforce it. Yes. This is this is who you employ that's an employee and can't be a contractor. This uh -huh. is how you do payroll. This is how you fire somebody. Uh -huh. This is how you deposit your taxes and how you pay them and who you have to file with. They never talk about that stuff. Yeah. So we wrote a back office book. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, so that also brings up, brings to my mind the uh, emerging career that we're seeing in the last special, I mean, gosh, it really expanded during COVID, but gig workers and payroll and 1099 status and all that kind of stuff for gig workers. I wonder if you, do you have any tips for gig workers in terms of handling their own compensation? Sure. But first of all, they have to make sure whether they are a 1099er or they're an employee. 70% of all U.S. businesses misclassify employees, mm. either as independent contractors instead of employees or as subject to overtime rules or not subject to overtime rules. So most businesses misclassify employees one way or the other. If you are an independent contractor and you really are, okay, Mm -hmm. There are some huge advantages to being an independent contractor. All your expenses are now deductible. All of them. I used to teach a course in how to live in a deductible world, mm -hmm. which includes things like your automobile, because wherever you're going, as long as it's business related, is deductible. Now, if you stop and pull off the road to go to the grocery store, that's de minimis and you don't even bother to record it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so you want to learn all these things about the deductibility of these. One, two of my favorite stories, the accountant in California that liked Hawaii. So he put an ad in a Hawaiian paper advertising just a little one ad for tax services. And he got a bite. So he took his vacation to, Cal to Hawaii and did up the taxes. Well, over the course of 20 years, he built up a whole set of clients in Hawaii. So he would go over every spring and spend several weeks in Hawaii, all as a business deduction. Yes. Because he was taking care of clients. Mm -hmm. My next one is the doctor in Florida who had a yacht and he deducted it on his tax return as a business expense and he got audited. Well, he had the paperwork and he invited other doctors on fishing trips all the time, because that's what he liked to do. He liked to go out and fish. Okay. So he invited other doctors and he kept track of the doctors he took and the amount of business they referred to him. And after two trips, if they weren't referring business, he didn't invite them again. <laughs> and when they got done with tax court, he won. Is that right? The IRS lost the whole case because it generated income for his business. Gotcha. It was no different than advertising or marketing. It was a marketing expense for his business and he could prove it. Yeah, that's, he won. 
that's the key, right? Being able to prove it. Right. Because you can legally deduct anything that is business related. Mm -hmm. Whether you have a receipt or not, you can deduct it. You just may not be able to prove on an audit, but that doesn't mean it's illegal. It just means it wasn't proved and the IRS won't give you credit for it. It, it is not illegal to take those deductions. I so see. if you have to sit down and estimate a deduction, okay, oh shit, I didn't keep, I didn't track miles this year. Estimate them or rational estimate. Don't just go ridiculous. Sure. Estimate them. And the IRS has to accept reasonable estimates. Gotcha. They can't say no. I mean, if you, you know, I did all this travel. Obviously, you know, I've got clients all over the place. Here's the revenue from these clients. I went to them. I absolutely had to get there. You can't tell me I can't take any miles. We can argue about the estimate, but we can't argue the fact that I did it. Right. Another tip, and this goes back to all the penalties that the IRS issues. The IRS cannot penalize you for a simple mistake. Ah. They will because they will say it's gross negligence. And they define gross negligence until you get to court. So if it's a simple mistake and they say we're penalizing you for it, appeal it and appeal it and appeal it and appeal. There's a whole series of appeals you go through with the IRS. It's almost endless because it's a whole series of no's followed by a single yes. Hmm. And when that one appeal, they go, yeah, we're going to allow that. You say, thank you very much and get the hell out of there. Okay. You don't keep talking. Yeah. But so you always keep appealing it up to and including tax court. Tax court costs you $60 to file the petition. And if you're broke, it's free. Huh. 95% of all U.S. tax court cases are settled out of court. So it gives you a whole nother bite at the apple. Great. So that so you're always appealing things. Another tip is anytime you get a letter from the IRS, answer it. I don't care if it's a duplicate from two weeks earlier. Take your original answer, mark it, second copy, and send it as a response. Never ignore that. Never ignore any of those. Because if you do, there are some that have deadlines built in. And if you don't respond within a certain period of time, 30, 90 days, Mm -hmm. you lose and your appeals have now been exhausted. Ah. So you don't want to do that. Read, Read it carefully. If you don't understand what they're saying, ask for clarification. They can't just ignore you. If they ignore you, they can lose too. Send everything certified so you can prove you sent it because some of these things are date sensitive. And if they say, well, you didn't answer in time and you go, I'm sorry, on the 8th of March, 2022, here's my certified receipt of the letter to you. Uh. And they go, well, we don't have that. It doesn't matter. You can prove you sent them a letter. Right. And if they can't provide their copy of it, the court's going to say, this is what the guy says he said. If you can't prove he didn't, didn't send it and he has a certified receipt proving he sent you something. And if you can't produce it, well, you lose. Yeah. So, and, and you know, in this, anytime you're dealing with the government, paper it. Right. Right. Paper, paper, paper. If you can't baffle them with your brilliance, you know, bury them in paperwork. <laughs> That's a good tip. That's a really good tip. Charles, tell me the biggest, the story of the biggest and hairiest victory you had in representing a client 
with regard to payroll taxes. Besides the one I gave you a, a moment ago, we, we get them all the time. We had a gentleman who had two W-2s. ADP had issued him one, and his company had come to us, and we issued one ADP should not have. And so three years later, the IRS came in and said, oh, you underreported your income by 50%. You owe us all these taxes, uh, plus penalties, plus substantial underpayment penalties. And they wouldn't listen to reason. So again, we filed a tax court petition explaining all this, filed it with the U.S. tax court in D.C. About six weeks later, we called a, got a call from the district council here in Dallas. And he said, yeah, we got all this. Uh, never mind. We've taken care of it. That kind of thing happens. One of my clients had decided to open up a, two more gyms. He had a, a gym and he opened two more. And he said, you know, this was a, another business. What he didn't tell me was he wasn't operating it under the EIN of the existing one, but as a sole proprietor. That took five years to unwind because of the FUTA tax problem, because the unemployment wasn't payment to the state, wasn't reported to the Fed to give him to the discount on the FUTA taxes. So instead of 0.06, it was 6.0. Oh my. So it was 10 times as much. And that took five years to unwind. So there's a lot of little things in, in the gig of business. We had a client who did teleprompting, teleprompter service. He had the equipment and he had independent contractors who he set up with jobs and had the equipment for them to rent and so on. And we filed them all as independent contractors and okay. they filed all their taxes that way. And the Texas Workforce Commission, who oversees unemployment in Texas, came in and said, no, they're employees. Well, we said, no, they're not. So we fought it, and we went to a Rule 13 hearing in front of the commission and won. And my client was very grateful that he won, but he was so pissed at having to deal with it that the first of the next year, he made them all employees instead. <laughs> did he really? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. He me off, but, you know, that was, it's his business, it's his choice, uh, and, and that's fine. For a, a business, you know, there are disadvantages to hiring gig workers. There are advantages, but there's disadvantages. You don't get loyal employees. They can leave you in a heartbeat. Uh, you can't assign them other duties. There's, there's a lot of things going on. So it's back and forth what you like or don't like. So do you have a... Uh... A tip for filing this year as we are fast approaching uh, the April date? Well, one of the things is make sure if you got stimulus payments, they get reported because those stimulus payments weren't free. They were a basically part of your refund upfront. So it, it's not just non-taxable. It is reduces your refund or in, in, in does not reduce your taxes. Your taxes go up. So you got to pay it back. So that's one of the big things. You should have gotten a letter from the IRS about any stimulus you got in 2021, the third one. So if you didn't get it and you got a stimulus, whenever you're doing your taxes, understand you have to put that information in. It's not something you can ignore. Even that's if, a very current one. Yeah. Even if you didn't receive a letter? Still have to report it. Do you? In fact, oh, that. You have if you got a third stimulus in 2021, you have to report it on your tax return for that year. Okay, that's a that's a good one to end on, you guys. 
because I will tell you that I am a person that did receive a third stimulus, but I have not received one note from the IRS or anybody telling me that I received that money. So I'm making a mental note right now, Charles. It's going to go on my tax return. If if for any of your people that are doing it on with a software or online, you know, type in stimulus into the help and it should kick up where you need to put it in. Oh, depending on how much it was. Fantastic. Well, Charles, thank you so much for lending your expertise to the strategist today. Really appreciate it. I like to close each show with um, asking my guests, how, what's the best way to get in touch with you if uh, someone is interested in engaging with you? The website is getpayroll.com. My email is cjr at getpayroll.com. And frankly, my phone number is 972 353-0000. Yeah, good one. Well, the only good thing GTE ever did for me. <laughs> you got the aughts. Yep. Yep. Well, thanks so much, Charles, for sh- uh, sharing your wisdom, expertise, and experience with us today. Appreciate you taking time to come on the program. And we're wishing you a great spring and a great tax season. Tony, thanks for having me. It was my pleasure. Bye-bye now. Have a great day. And until next time, strategists keep on strategizing. <laughs>